Praise the Lord. Welcome to the house of God today. What a delight to be in the presence of the Lord, gathered together in worship under his protection, his covering, his healing power, and the name that is above every other name. The message today, titled, Why Was David So Special to God? Why was David so special to God? It's Father's Day. Ephesians 6, 2-3 says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. This is a commandment that has a promise attached to it. Honor your father and mother, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. That it may be well with you, and that you will live long on the earth. Honor your father and mother. So another scripture I'd like to bring in quickly in Malachi 4, verses 5 to 6. Where the scripture says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. We often apply these words to the home, the natural family, the natural father. But in reality, these words are talking in a spiritual dimension. Malachi 4, 5 to 6 is speaking of spiritual fathers. There's a day coming. The Bible says it's called the great day of the Lord. Jesus Christ is returning. It's going to be a great day and a dreadful day. A great day for the saints and a terrible, dreadful day for the sinners. The Word of God says that before that day comes, and we believe we're living in the last of the last days, that God will send Elijah the prophet. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The spirit and power of Elijah. We're not looking for a literal Elijah to show up in the earth. No more than Jesus would have expected literal Elijah to appear before him. There are two comings of Christ. Jesus Christ came in the first advent, and there is one that went before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. It was John the Baptist. When the disciples asked Jesus, the scripture says, they were referring to Malachi, that Elijah the prophet is going to appear before the coming of Christ, before Messiah. Jesus said, Elijah has come. And they understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. For John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, a message of repentance, to forsake sin, to serve the Lord, to turn to God with all your heart. And the Bible says that that same spirit will be in the land before the coming of the Lord. We hear that voice. There is a call, the spirit and power of Elijah, the spirit of repentance, the spirit of turning from the world, forsaking the idols of sin and self, and following God with all our heart. That spirit is upon us. We know the call to sanctification. We know the call to the holiness of the Lord in this hour. And the Bible says that God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest he will come and strike the earth with a curse. It's amazing how quickly the heart of a father can turn to a child when that child 
turns to the father. How quickly the heart of a father turns to a child when the child turns to the father. And how quickly the heart of a child turns to the father when the heart of the father turns to the child. It's a surrender. It's this mutual honor for one another. The Lord turning the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children, spiritual children to their fathers. We have many spiritual fathers. The most outstanding of them are revealed to us in the Word of God, and that's what Malachi's talking about. Spiritual fathers and mothers portrayed before us, revealed before us on the pages of the Bible so that we know how to walk and we know how to honor these fathers and mothers. We know these fathers, the walk of Enoch, the righteousness of Noah, the faith of Abraham, the perseverance of Job, the surrender of Samuel, the mantle of Elijah, spiritual mothers too, the kindness of Ruth, the intercession of Esther, and the list goes on. But I want to stop with one of our fathers today, and that is our father David, the worship of David. The worship of David. Honor your father and your mother. The worship of David. David was set forth as an example of worship. A standard was introduced through him for all time. A standard of worship that will last throughout the endless ages of eternity. The praise and worship as revealed in the scriptures and particularly the Psalms of the Bible. Now the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 28, do not remove the ancient landmark, the boundary stones. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your father has set. I don't know how that scripture is going to rest this morning. Maybe the Holy Spirit can work it into some hearts this morning. Because maybe there are some that have removed or moved the ancient landmarks, even in your own family. The faith of your fathers, faith of our fathers living still. Maybe some here have moved the ancient landmark from what the standard and protocol of the family was concerning how they served the Lord. And today the Lord would remind you, don't be a son or daughter that moves the boundary stone. Don't, rem don't move the ancient landmarks that your fathers have set. Don't do it. David, our father, my, what a landmark he set for us. What a stone he put in place that we should not remove it or pass by it. And that is the worship of David. The worship of David. The Bible speaks about the standard of David, the commandment of David in the regards to the worship of God's people. And how that David became a standard, an example for all God's people of all time. How they should worship, how they should rejoice, how they should celebrate in the presence of the Lord. As we read the Kings and Chronicles, we notice a phrase that's repeated often, and it's the words, like David did, or not like David did. Every generation of kings and God's people was measured by David's standard. They did as David did, or they did not do as David did. 
They were like their father David, or they were not like their father David. David was set forth as a standard. God measures his people. God measures people. We live in a day when people don't want to be measured. Where we think we can live as we want, but all get the same passing grade in the end. Not put forth the same effort, but somehow still enter into the full reward. But God measures his people. Honor thy father, David. Faith of our father, living still. God measures his people. In Revelation 11 and verse 1, God said, Arise and measure the temple of God. The temple of God is the church. He wasn't referring to a literal building. Rise and measure the temple of God. Measure the church. Measure the local church. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus was walking among the seven churches of Asia Minor, and he was measuring them. He was grading them, and he had commendation, and he had rebuke for them. Jesus walks among the churches. He's measuring. He's measuring according to standard. It says measure the altar, the place of sacrifice, the generosity, the zeal, the fervor, the hunger and thirst after the living God. Measure the offerings that are going before the presence of the Lord Sunday by Sunday. And he says, measure those that worship therein. Measure the worshipers. Measure the worshipers. We are to grow, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.13, into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God has a measure. God measures his people. We grow into the measure of the stature. We keep moving forward in maturity until we come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, why was David so special to God? David was a worshiper, the worship of David. First and foremost, David was a worshiper. If you want to endear yourself to God, become a fervent worshiper. God said, I have searched, I have sought a man after my own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14, I've, I'm, I'm searching, God says. My eyes go to and fro throughout the land. I'm, I'm seeking, God said, in that day for a man after my heart, a man that is after my heart. And Acts chapter 13, verse 22 replies, I have found David. I have found David, a man after my own heart. God not only sought for a man, but he found a man, David. And David worshiped the Lord continually. And it was a delight to God, and it brought great benefit into David's own life and family, the worship of the Lord. It didn't matter if David was on the hillside as a youth, keeping sheep, somebody on the job, somebody far from home, somebody in a lonely motel at night. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord on the hillside. Receive the blessing of the Lord. See, number one this morning, personal worship invokes the presence and power of God. David was a worshiper. He sought the Lord. He walked before God. It didn't matter if he was in a cave, in the wilderness, 
a fugitive fleeing for Saul from Saul, if there was an uprising in the kingdom facing the rebellion of his own son Absalom in the palace on the throne of Israel, in prosperity and adversity, David worshiped the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. David, when you look into the Psalms, wrote fully half of the Psalms of the Bible. 150 Psalms. And if you check the superscription of each psalm, you will find 73 that are attributed to David in many kinds of circumstances, in many kinds of situations, in many kinds of battles and fears and distress, even in times of sickness. And there he is pouring out his heart to God. 73 psalms have a direct reference to David in the superscription and two others Psalm 2 and Psalm 95 are credited to him by the New Testament authors. 75 of the 150 Psalms. David was a worshiper. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father. David was a worshiper. Again, point number one, personal worship invokes the presence and power of God. It invokes the felt presence of God upon our lives. No matter what we're facing, anxieties, distress, emotions of different sorts, circumstances, as David did, as I just mentioned some of them, David would worship the Lord in all situations, and because of it, the presence and power of God rested on his life and helped him. It brought comfort. It brought strength. The felt presence of God is very meaningful to us. Because with it, we are strong, and we sense the power of God in our life. David knew how to invoke the presence of God on his life. He knew how when he was lonely. He knew how when he was discouraged. He knew how when he was fighting battles. And by the way, David never lost a battle. David the worshiper never lost a battle. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. I worship the Lord. Lonely, overwhelmed, facing economic difficulty, facing spiritual struggle, facing rebellion, facing broken relationship, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Invoke the presence of God, and the power and presence of God will rest on your life, and it will help you through victoriously you won't lose a battle all the days of your life all the days of your life David worshiped the Lord there was a knowledge resident in the land of Israel in the days of well many preceding days from the beginning of time but especially marked under Samuel the prophet and David the king that the presence and power of God would bring release from bondage. It would break heaviness. It would break off chains. It would break the pressure of circumstances. It would bring healing to the physical body. It would bring restoration to the mind, peace to the soul. It would bring the refreshing of God upon an individual's life. It was knowledge of God that everyone knew, and I trust all of us know that here today. 
that when we worship and invoke the presence, that felt presence and power of God, it touches our entire being. It brings healing to our body, restoration to our soul. It encourages our spirit in faith so we can walk victoriously before God and break every battle and break every test and temptation against our life. The knowledge of the Lord. The Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people go into captivity because of lack of knowledge. So this is knowledge of the Lord that we want to be very, very comfortable with, comfortable with and conversant with. This knowledge that the worship of the Lord will invoke the presence and power of God. In 1 Samuel 16, a distressing spirit was upon King Saul. He had rejected the Lord. He had rejected the Holy Spirit on his life. And because of it, there was a judgment sent against him. It says a distressing spirit from the Lord came upon him. But the servants of King Saul, like other people in the land, knew the knowledge of the Lord. And they said, we need to find a skillful, anointed musician Somebody who knows how to enter into the praise and worship of the Lord. Because when we find him, he'll be able to break this foul mood off the king. He'll be able to break this distressing spirit and drive it back. That king was suffering in his body as well. They said, let's find a man. And they found David, a young man. David, a youth. And he came into the presence of King Saul. And 1 Samuel 16, 23 says, and so it was. Whenever the Spirit of, from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well. Refreshed and well. And the distressing spirit would depart from him. You are my hiding place. You will preserve me from trouble. You will surround me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 32, verse 7. Isaiah 61, 3. Put on the garment of praise to overcome, to defeat the spirit of heaviness. Now there's a warfare that we all face, and it's the warfare of our flesh. It's mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. The Bible says, For the flesh lusts or wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. The King James says, the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, so that you cannot do the things that you would. I read that one day, and I thought, my, that's pretty strong. The flesh in me is warring against the Spirit, and it's so contrary, this flesh against my spirit, that I cannot do the things that I would. That's verse 17. Verse 19 mentions the works of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are these, adultery, outbursts of wrath, jealousy, strife, and it goes on to list them. As I read Galatians 5, I view it as containing two messages or two uh, points. One is the warfare of the flesh, and the other is the works of the flesh. 
The flesh wars against the spirit. There is a warfare of the flesh in us, and then there are works of the flesh. Works of the flesh are deliberate acts, specific actions, sins, deliberate transgression. There are works of the flesh, but there is also the warfare of the flesh. And the Bible says that warfare of the flesh is on our lives so that we cannot do the things that we would. This warfare of the flesh is more involuntary, and every one of us deal with it. It's that low-grade grind in our members. That dispute of the flesh within us. It's what the Bible calls in Hebrews 12, the besetting sin. The sin that encircles us. It's, it's all around us. Or it's also known as our common defilement. Our common defilement. Or the sin principle yet lingering in the members of our body until the day of the resurrection. We know what this warfare is. It's that irritability in us at times. Annoyance. Pessimism. Anxieties and fears. Doubts and unbelief against the goodness of the Lord and the promise of the Lord to our lives and families. It's that low-grade grind in us. And the Bible says the flesh is warring against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that you cannot do the things that you would. How many would say this morning, I know what you're talking about, Pastor Ron, and I understand that struggle. I don't want that struggle in me. I don't want to have to deal with that flesh life in me. But it's there. And the Bible says because of it, we cannot live the way we really want to live. There's only one way we can, and that is verse 16 of Galatians 5. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's the only way to overcome the flesh life. Walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, we overcome that warfare of the flesh life in us. And how do we get filled with the Spirit? Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. That's how we overcome. Number one this morning, Personal worship invokes the felt presence and power of God and releases you in victory in your life. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The more the praises of the Lord are in us, the more they are released through our lives, the greater our worship in a personal way, the greater our victory, victory in the Lord, the greater our victory in the Christian walk. Hallelujah. Point number two. Corporate worship melts hearts and changes lives. I only have two points this morning. Personal worship invokes the felt presence and power of God. And second, corporate worship 
melts hearts and changes lives. Corporate worship, when the people of God gather together, the congregation, there is a call on us to gather as the congregation of the Lord. God says, gather my saints together unto me. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. God has the corporate gathering for a reason. Because he wants to come and be with his family. And because of the miracle activity, supernatural activity that takes place when the believers unite together in the presence of the Lord. Every one of us has a responsibility for the congregational gathering, for the corporate gathering. Every believer has a responsibility for the corporate gathering to gather as the church of Jesus Christ. We gather as the church. Now, the church is not the building direct, although this is a sanctuary, a place set apart for the presence and ministry of the Lord. It's a sanctuary, a place set apart. But the church is the people of God, the gathering of the people. The church is the assembling of the saints before the Lord. We are built together. We are built up, the Bible says, as a spiritual house, a house of the Lord. Now, we live in an incredible day of technology. And there is great benefit with the technology of today, the online services and ministry that are able to be released out over the internet and touch the world. And there's benefit for those. We've experienced that benefit in the last few months because sometimes, this may not be the only reason, but there are sometimes are restrictions on the gathering of the house of the Lord and what a benefit the online service and ministry is. It's a great blessing to the shut-in by reason of age, those that are no longer able to attend the house of God. They can view and take the online message it's there for those who are at home fighting the good fight of faith through sickness on a Sunday or two. Online services are a blessing for those who receive our ministry but are not in reasonable proximity to this city or this facility. And they are a great blessing to our ministry partners in other nations of the world. But for every able-bodied and capable-bodied believer, the will of God is the house of God. The will of God is the house of God. <clears throat> the gathering of the people. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said, let's gather on Sundays. Let's gather for prayer services. Let's gather for Bible study. Let's gather to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Remove not the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. And so today we Understand that the presence of God comes as we gather corporately. Corporate worship melts hearts and changes lives. It breaks heaviness off of us. It breaks spiritual drift off of us. We come into the congregation of the Lord, and life breaks forth in the house of the Lord. Psalm 22 and verse 3 says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Lord, that when your people gather, 
you come down in their midst with your felt presence. Your name is manifested there. Your presence is manifested there in a mighty way. You are holy. You that dwell in the praises of the congregation of the Lord. First or Second Chronicles 5, 12 to 13. Amazing verses. It says, Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. What a powerful scripture. 2 Chronicles 5, 12 to 13. A people in such unity, a people so united in zeal for the presence of the Lord that the Bible says when they were as one, ministering and praising, and the musicians were playing before the Lord, that the cloud, the glory of the Lord filled the house so that the priests could not even stand to minister. They were overcome by the presence of the Lord. Have you read 1 Corinthians 14, 25? And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. These are the words of the Apostle Paul to the local churches, to the churches of the New Testament. He said that the presence of God, the power of God, can be, is to be so strong when the believers gather together that something very extraordinary happens. He says, I'm expecting such a corporate anointing because of the people's hunger and their response to the Lord that when the unbeliever comes in, or, he says, the unlearned believer, the immature believer, that when they walk into the presence of God in God's house and the people are worshiping and pouring out their hearts and calling on God and invoking the corporate presence of God, that the Spirit of God begins to speak to hearts and that the secrets of these people's hearts are revealed. Their waywardness. Their disinterest in spiritual things. The reality of heaven and hell. Their inattentiveness to the things of God, the sluggishness that has come upon them. Paul says when they walk into the house of the Lord and all those struggles are in their heart, all of a sudden in the presence of God, those secrets of their heart are revealed and they realize they need to change and they fall on their face in the presence of God and worship and say, truly God is in you. Truly God is among you. The presence of God so strong. In 1 Samuel 19, King Saul went to Samuel's church. King Saul had forsaken the Lord, walked his own way, heart cold, hardened against the Lord. King Saul wanted to capture David. He wanted to arrest David for treason because he misguidedly, felt that David was undermining his kingdom and the future of Saul's kingdom. And so he went to a place called Ramah. 
It was the city where Samuel was, Ramah. And in that city was a place called Naoth. Naoth. It was the place of the worship of the people of God, the place where they gathered. It was the place where the Bible says they had worship services and preaching. It would be like the local church today. Saul said, I'm going to, I know where David is. He's in Naoth, or he's in Ramah, and he found out he was in Naoth. He said, I will go to that city, and I will personally arrest David. Now, Saul was filled with bitterness, with rage, with resentment. The distressing spirit of God was upon him. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against David. And he went toward the city of Ramah. And the Bible says the worship anointing coming out of Naoth, that local church where Samuel was standing as head over the people, the worship anointing in that place was so strong that its effect went through the atmosphere far from that place. That as, Paul, that as King Saul, with all that murder, with all that rage with all that hatred in his heart as he came near to the city not he wasn't even at the church yet as he came near the city of Ramah all of a sudden something began to happen to him he he couldn't even understand what was happening the foul mood he evaporated he started singing some of the old worship songs he once knew but had long neglected he began to think of all the goodness of the lord that had transpired in his life the prophecies the promises the things god had done to bring him to where he was he wasn't even at naoth yet but the bible says as he entered ramah the city and then he made his way to that local church naoth that the power of god was so strong that when king saul walked into that place his knees buckled he went to his knees. He took off his kingly robe of pride and position, and he fell down on his face and said, Surely God is among you of a truth. He began to worship. He began to sing. He began to praise the Lord. All that resentment, all that bitterness, all that foul irritation that was in him was totally vanished. He lay down in the presence of God, Prostate, prostrate in the presence of God, the Spirit of the Lord resting on the congregation. I don't know how long that worship service went on, but Saul was there on his face worshiping, and it seems like the service ended, but King Saul stayed on his face, the Bible says, all that day and all that night. So filled with worship, so free, chains so broken, so alive again in the presence of God that when the people saw him singing and worshiping, they said, is Saul also among the prophets? We didn't know he had that prophetic spirit and that worship in him. In the morning, in the morning, King Saul rose up and went home. But he didn't fight the good fight of faith. And he relapsed. He returned to his old ways. His heart filled again. Jealousy, bitterness, depression, foul mood. I read that passage 
Bible says, 1 Samuel 19. So King Saul went there to Naoth and Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied, his poured out utterance, until he came to Naoth and Ramah, and he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night, meaning without his kingly robe. Therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? I read those verses, and I think of King Saul, and I cry out, Saul, why didn't you keep on coming to the presence of the Lord? Why didn't you come again and again? Why weren't you in church, Samuel's church, every time the doors were open? God would have broken that distressing spirit. God would have broken your jealousy. God would have broken your oppression. God would have broken your cursing and your hatred. He would have broken that out of you. You would have been in the presence of God until all that was purged out of your life. No, Saul never came back to church. Too filled with his own resentment again. Saul do what some do today. They have great breakthrough. They have great miracle deliverance. My, they're set free. They feel like they're walking on air, and they are. But they don't fight the good fight of faith. They forsake the house of God and fall back to their old ways. As the Apostle Peter said, he said, Beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness and be led astray with the error of the wicked. Wow. Beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness and you are actually led away once again with the same error of the wicked. So much for once saved, always saved. Bible says it's better not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it to turn away from it. The Bible says he that endures unto the end shall be saved. Unto the end of what? His life. He that endures unto the end, fighting the battles of the Lord, worshiping God, staying with the house of God, staying strong, and does not fall away. He that endures unto the end shall be saved. Hebrews 10 and verse 25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. As the manner of some is. But exhorting one another, urging, encouraging, one another, and so much the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. Hallelujah. Point number two, corporate worship melts hearts and changes lives. Like King Saul in the presence of the Lord, and I trust today that we will honor our father and our mother in the word of God. Honor the spiritual fathers. Honor the worship of David. Why was David so special to God? He was a worshiper of the Lord. And let's allow that to be first and foremost in our lives. Let's pray together this morning. Father, how we rejoice in you. Thank you for so great a salvation that you've given to us. And I pray, Lord, this morning, if there's anyone here that is struggling with areas of flesh life, Areas of conduct, Lord, that the Spirit of the Lord would rest today. 
that there would be an opening up of the heart of your people, Lord, to you right now. Every person, Lord. Say, Lord, put steadfastness in me. I receive that spirit of worship. I receive that spirit of zeal and tenacity to serve the Lord and to know that the presence and power of God, when it's invoked, clears out darkness, brings life, melts hearts, brings change, and sets us free. So today, Lord, we honor our Father David. We honor our Father David to rise in his standard of worship, to be like David our Father, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.